welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. All right, Psalm 73 is our text for this morning. If you do have a Bible, why don't you turn there? We live in challenging emotional times. Um, When you start to look at the world in which we live, we're facing things that in the history of the world we've never faced before. Global terrorism, even here in New Zealand. You never know where something is going to strike. We live in an age of climate change where everybody's concerned whether this world will endure. We live in a world of financial uncertainty where we've witnessed the markets plummet and things people have taken for granted suddenly taken away from them. We live at a time possibly of the greatest instability in the history of the world. Added to that, we live in an age of worldwide news. So it doesn't matter where the tsunami is, where the famine is, where the earthquake is, or where the event is, we are instantly aware of every problem on the face of the planet. We live in a time of 24-hour-a-day connectedness. Even the downtime that people used to have, shut off from the world, its problems and everybody else's lives has been obliterated as we have instant messaging, texting, Facebook, Uh, online connectedness all of the time. We live in a a time of social media. It's gonna get better, by the way, but we live in a time of social media comparisons where maybe yesterday I loved my life and now I'm looking at yours and thinking that my life and its reality is not actually as great as your airbrushed, photoshopped, highlight reel looks on social media. And as a result of it, we are facing new Challenges. We're aware of everyone and everything. We're apprehensive about the future. We are stimulated like never before. Not only are we emotional, but we have more emotional stimulus than in any other moment in human history. And in the middle of it all, we're all just trying to figure out how to survive, right? Uh, This has now officially been named Gen Z, the anxious generation where we are literally able to define ourselves by the emotional challenges of our time. We are stressed out, we are afraid, we're concerned, we feel powerless, and we're looking for a way to navigate this increasingly challenging emotional space. There's a lot of emotional turmoil. And as we're diving into this incredibly important series that, by the way, we're gonna be covering in this month not only here in our main auditoriums, but with our children and the kids' ministry at Boost, at Youth on a Friday, and in our life groups. We're going for all bases to say that this is something that we need to find a way through. And as we're diving into this talk today, I just want to firstly just let you know, so that you're not surprised by it, God has emotions. This is really important for us to know when you're thinking about, I'm so emotional, so is God. The Bible tells us that Jesus wept. It says that the Holy Spirit grieves. It tells us that the Father loves. These are emotions and God is emotional. God made us emotional. It's so important that you realize you're not emotional because we live in a fallen world. No, God made us emotional and now we live in a fallen world. It's not wrong to have emotions, it's not bad to experience emotions. We were designed to be emotional and emotions are part of us. We don't need our emotions to go away. 
It isn't sinful to be emotional. Can I get a little amen out there today? Emotions are actually all the way through the Bible. I mean, when you look at the Bible, the Bible says that David wrote in Psalm 40, and he said, man, God lifted me out of the mud and mire. He placed my feet upon a rock. He put a new song in my mouth. But he starts that phrase by saying, I was in the mud and mire. I was in the slimy pit. This is not literal. It's figurative. David is saying, man, I was emotionally really, really low, and God came and He helped me. We understand about King Saul that he struggled with depression and in fact eventually lost his kingship because he couldn't find his way out of his overwhelming emotions. Joseph, the Bible says about Joseph, the archers shot at him with arrows of bitterness. That's an emotion. The Bible tells us about Job that he wallowed in defeat. Naomi wrote and said, you should change my name to Mara, which literally means bitter. We understand about Jesus that he wept over Lazarus, that Moses had an anger problem and he kept him out of the promised land. Wow. So we're discovering, and don't you love it about the Bible that it doesn't just gloss over it? Like if I was writing the Bible, there would be a lot of things that would be left out that God just openly talks about. God is emotional. He made us emotional. Emotions are all the way through the Bible. And the truth is, my friends, that emotions are a real part of our lives. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want a life that has no emotions. You want to feel things. Feeling is fundamental to our human experience. It's part of our wholeness. It's part of who we are. It's not a bad thing to have emotions. Emotions inspire us emotion. In other words, we feel things and we move. They're what, they're what get us going. It's why we paint. It's why we draw. It's why we clean dishes. It's why we, we don't do it because we want to. We do it because we love the people we're doing it for, right? We are emotional and this is part of the way that God made us. But the truth is, friends, that even though it is part of the way God made us, we are now living in a world that is not as God designed it to originally be. And because we now live in a fallen world, even if you are a Christian, it is possible to have your faith in one box, one arena, one space, and your emotions in another place. And for us to be trying to figure out our emotions separate from God, when actually God is saying to us, I made you the way that you are, you're not fundamentally broken. I just want to be involved and help you so that you can figure out these emotions that you're feeling on the inside of us. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 19, the Bible says that having lost all sensitivity, that's to God, the Bible says they gave themselves over to sensuality. That means feelings. So we got here a pendulum that when God diminishes Feelings seem to have a greater impact. And this is why we live in a really, really challenging world because you're gonna hear people out there telling you two things all the time. Number one, God ain't real. And number two, do what you feel. And they're both really stupid things to say. If you wanna ruin your life, do what you feel. I walk into stores, see things that I like. I promise you, I never, ever buy them, never 
I just have a personal discipline. If I see it and I want it, I go away and I think about it. I've trained myself to be immune from that shop attendance pressure that you are really a loser without any money if you don't instantly buy. I don't feel your vibe. I'm out of there because I wanna separate stimulus from response. If you wanna ruin your life, then buy everything you feel like buying. Do whatever you feel like doing. This is a bad way to live your life. I expected at least the husbands to get on board with this. It's a freebie. But the truth is, friends, that we are just all in it trying to figure out our emotions. And the Bible is trying to say, when God is not there, then people end up driven by their emotions. They have no compass for their emotions. Feelings begin to dictate the course of our lives. And let's just be really, really clear. Following Jesus, being a Christian, is intended by God in its mature state to have a very deep impact on the way that we live our emotional lives. That's encouraging. Anybody here out there say, even though when I received Jesus, I wasn't immediately cured of all problems that I did immediately begin to feel a sense of peace, love, and purpose in my heart. Can somebody just acknowledge? It has an impact. The kingdom of God's impact on our lives is absolutely emotional. Romans 4.17, the Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. So two out of three are emotional. Nehemiah 8 verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Anybody grateful that God brings you joy and that joy makes you strong? How about this one, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And isn't it amazing to see how many of the fruits of the Spirit are specifically emotional? Doesn't that blow you away? God said, when I bring my Spirit to your life, it is going to impact your emotional life. So we're living in a world where it's never been harder to, to navigate our emotions. That, that is true. That's not making the world evil. It's real, guys. If you're feeling anxious, if you're struggling with feeling overwhelmed, if you sometimes just wallow in a sense of low because you don't really love your life right now, or if you're feeling bitter or rejected, just be aware that we do live in a time where this is more prevalent than in any other age in human history. And it's not just because we're alive and we're talking about it. It's real. It is part of the world in which we live. But the truth is that God, God doesn't leave us alone in any problem. I expected a lot louder, amen. God is with us. God is concerned. God wants to help. God's got solutions. And that's why in this series, we wanna talk about how we can navigate all of our fields. Psalm 73 is a beautiful psalm, isn't it? It's written by uh, a guy called Asif, and maybe since I was about 20 years old, uh, it's meant a lot to me, this psalm. So for the last five years, it's really been a theme of my life. Three people got it, you'll get it later. And Asif wrote this psalm after a season in his life that was so tough, so memorable, so impacting and so painful that he wrote a song about it, okay? 
That's important for us to know because when we're reading the psalm, it's not just like he couldn't get sparked to stream properly. It's not just because he had a tough morning of traffic. I mean, these are real issues, by the way, especially Spark. But at the end of the day, he's writing about something far more significant than just one challenging moment. He's saying, guys, I've been through something in my life that impacted me so deeply. I want to put it to song and I want to hand it on to others. And when you read Psalm 73, you're reading about a lot of really negative emotions. I mean, check it out. In verse 10, 2, sorry, he said, As for me, I almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. Verse 3, for I envied the arrogant. He said, I was envious. He said, comparison had taken me over and I wanted what somebody else had. Come down in verse uh, 13, he said, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. He's saying, I live my life with a deep personal, I did live my life with a deep personal sense of regret. I wish I'd been with that person. I wish I'd gone that direction. I wish I hadn't done that. And I promise you, there are several hundred people in this auditorium who regularly in your life suffer detrimental emotions because you're reliving something that you did, something that you should have done, a painful moment from your past fills you with a personal sense of regret and sorrow in the here and now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He's not the only one. In verse 21, he said, my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered. He said, I knew grief and I knew bitterness. Okay, so in one Psalm, we've got envy, comparison, bitterness, regret, anxiety, and fear. Powerful Psalm. Now, what I love about the Psalm is that he starts in verse one by saying this. He says, surely God is good. Okay, so we've got to get optimistic as we're diving into it. Let's bookend it. The last verse, he says, But as for me, it's good to be near God, and I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. He's saying, guys, I'm not living in the same emotional world that I was. I've been through the valley, and I've made it out the other side, which makes this psalm a perfect psalm for us to dive into when we're talking about our emotions, because he gets honest about the middle, but he gives us the end before he even starts. He says, guys, I know where you live and I've made it through a lot of difficult emotions and let me tell you how. So in this Psalm, there are five different choices that the Psalmist gives us that I wanna give you on week one. Now come back next week. By the way, bring five people tonight. Bring five people tonight who weren't here so they can hear this message again because this is a message, this is a series for our generation. But five choices are found in this psalm. Here's choice number one. First thing that we're gonna have to do if we're gonna navigate our emotions and make it through this turmoil team, we're gonna have to either acknowledge or we're going to smother. The first choice you're gonna make with your emotions I'm gonna make with mine is whether I'm going to own my emotions, acknowledge my emotions, or whether I'm gonna do what I most often have done in my life. And to be honest, I think New Zealanders are par excellence in this area as a culture, just kind of bury it all just a little bit down. Burying your pain is stoic 
If you're on a rugby field and you just hurt your shoulder and you get up to go again, it's not a good way to live. If you are experiencing bitterness, pain, if you're overwhelmed by rejection, stressed out, overwhelmed, just stuffing it down and keeping on going, stuffing it down and keeping on going, you're gonna eventually pop, it's gonna come out and it'll probably cause a lot of pain primarily to somebody else, certainly to you as well. And what I love about the Bible is that the Bible never gives you a hint, a suggestion, a thought that because you're experiencing bad emotions, it makes you a bad person. Nothing in the Bible says that. The Bible is candid about biblical heroes who experience challenging emotions. The Psalms are awesome because the Psalms go through detail of people in really bad emotional states and it gives us all their junk in the trunk. I mean, Asif just writes it. He says, I I was all these things. This is true of me. And friends, if we're gonna solve our emotional problems, the first thing we need to be willing to do is to just say that we have emotional problems. Just acknowledge that think, how are you? Great, great. Now listen, I'm not saying that we need to blather everything that's wrong with us in every moment, but at some point we're gonna get, have to at least start by getting honest with ourselves. I'm in pain. I feel hurt. I am overwhelmed. There is a challenge in my life. I am so pressured right now. I just feel stressed. Without acknowledging it, there's really not gonna be any changes. And I mean, there are a few people out there that are like, I'm desperate for the series. I came, I have a real issue. But the vast majority of us are probably not quite there yet. But what we're doing is we're we're just smothering it, just managing it. And the Bible never hints, states or suggests that this is a smart thing for us to do. The Bible, quite the opposite, says, listen, you are emotional. By the way, God is emotional. And get in touch with the emotions that you're feeling. In fact, Ephesians 4, 26 has been a really helpful scripture for me my whole life. And the reason why is because I have a very strong personality. I'm a blinding choleric. If you do personality charts, I don't have a lot of sanguine in me, don't have any phlegmatic in me. I'm just like choleric. I was born to lead. That's what I was. But with that, I also have a strong sense of personal resolve that sometimes becomes a little bit incensed. I get angry. And Ephesians 4.26 is a really helpful scripture for me because it says, in your anger... Do not sin. Now, I like it two ways. Because it's definitely saying, Cameron, you can't just get angry and lose your rag, and that's cool. That's sin if you lose your rag. But the Bible doesn't say to have emotions is a bad thing. I can acknowledge to you today, I get angry. I read stories about children killed in New Zealand by abusive partners wasted on drugs. And the truth is, it makes me so angry. But because of that emotion, I get set in motion. So we plant campuses. We start life groups. We we commit ourselves to reaching more people. We take the love of Jesus. We go into prisons. We feed people. We look after because the emotion is not bad. 
And no matter what your emotion is, I've given a very positive lens on one of my emotions, but the truth is you've got one, I've got one, and what we must do is bring our emotions out. We've got to talk to God about it. We have to own it. We have to acknowledge it. The Bible doesn't say bury it, press it down, ignore it. God encourages us to begin our lives with honesty. This is why I love journaling, by the way. I love to journal. I've journaled my whole life um, as a Christian, and I just love it because often I can be honest with a pen and a piece of paper before I could ever be honest with a person. But it just begins by me getting in touch with me. Number two, our second choice is wisdom or folly. Once we've acknowledged it and chosen not to suppress it, now we've got to choose, once we've brought it out, what we do with it, right? Because our next choice is how are we going to challenge this, uh, uh, deal with this? And we can do it two ways. We can do it down the pathway of wisdom or the pathway of folly. And that's why I love Asaph because he wrote in verse 16 of Psalm 73, and he said, when I tried to understand all this, when I tried to figure all this out, it was oppressive to me. In other words, I just couldn't do it. And then I entered the sanctuary of God. He's saying, I tried to figure it out by myself and I was pretty dumb. It didn't work out that well. I couldn't fix my own rejection. I couldn't cure my own anxiety. I couldn't deal with my own inner turmoil. Even, no matter how hard I worked, it never made me feel any less accepted. And I, nev I never could deal with the problems. He said, then I chose a different direction. I decided to go a different path. I knew that I had a problem, so I brought it to God. He said, I brought it to God. And the moment I brought it to God, it started to go a different way. The Bible's trying to say, guys, don't try and comprehend your mood without God. Don't try and get it all sorted out without God. He said, no, bring it to Him. Bring it to the light. God is the kingdom of light. And there is a kingdom of darkness. And the truth is, friends, there are genres of music devoted to the darkness. There are series on television devoted to the darkness. I don't know about you, but the longer I follow Jesus, I look at the stuff on television and I just think, who watches that? And the answer is people who don't have anyone to bring it to? Question, if I'm feeling really rubbish, what could make me feel better? Answer, somebody whose life is even more rubbish. I'm not saying it's a good pathway. I'm just saying it is one. It's a, it's a path of folly. But we live in a world where people just take, take the darkness and... Pitch a tent there. And it's easy as a Christian, even as a Christian, to follow Jesus, yet not actually involve Him in what's going on in your emotions. To have a faith, you, you might have Christian values, you might have a Christian paradigm, you might budget like a Christian, you might literally orient your dreams like a Christian, but right now, you're struggling with something in your emotional world and it never comes up in your prayer life. It's not part of what you're bringing to the light and bringing to the Lord. And friend, I'm just here to tell you that God is interested, He's concerned, and He can help if we bring to Him what's going on in our emotions.
That is wisdom. It's wisdom. I've always had a gift to bring something out of nothing. It's just, I'm a pioneer, an entrepreneur. That's what I was gifted by God to do. And just like I birthed this church when I was a youth pastor in Auckland, I would just start things and they would end up really big. I mean, really big. We ran youth rallies. Several thousand teenagers would come out. We ran a youth conference. It was big at the time. You know, get 1,500 regos. We had a youth ministry. And whatever we started, it tended to just go really well. But I wasn't emotionally ready for it. And in the middle of it, so often, we'd be approaching the deadline. And I would just feel just overwhelmed and just anxious. And then I would become exceptionally low. And several times in my 20s, I remember being at home and I'd just be like lying on the carpet several times, just like, ah. And the truth is, if I can be honest with you, it's like having a hamburger and chips sometimes just to wallow in your woe is me. It was, for me, it was like, I don't know, it was a weirdly comforting experience just to hang out in my low, just, just to mellow in my low, just to live in the dark. And then when I moved to Wellington on Labor Weekend of 2002 to begin a rise, I got lost, ended up going through New Plymouth. That's a story for another day, but <laughs> driving the road, it's, it's really not important for this, the message, but as I was making my way down the, the West Coast, I felt the Holy Spirit speaking in my heart, and He said, John, if you're going to go to the next level of leadership, if you're going to be a senior leader of a church, and families are going to come there, you can never have another down day in your life again. God wasn't saying to me, John, you can never acknowledge pressure. He was just saying, you can't live in folly. You can't camp in the dark. This is not an option for you. If you're feeling overwhelmed, you better do something about it really quick. And the Lord really used it to help me. And I just want to say to someone that's out there today, you can't just camp in the dark. You got to acknowledge it. And then you've got to choose some wisdom. What do I do then, John? Well, here's the third thing. This is what you can do next. The third thing that we need to do is confess it. Or you can play the Pharisee. That's your choice. But the smart move is to confess it. So first thing I've got to do is I've just got to get in touch with it. Then the second thing I need to do is I need to choose a wisdom direction with it. And now where do I go? I confess it. I bring it to God and I tell him all about it. Verse 21, the psalmist wrote, and he said, when my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was just senseless and arrogant. I was stupid. I was in the wrong direction. I wasn't being smart. And what the Pharisees liked to do was they liked to give the pretense that in order to come to God, you had to have your life sorted out. And this is still what most Christians do with their emotions. Before they come to God, they want the rage to go. Before they come to God, they want the depression to be pushed back here. So now I can listen to my praise and worship and now I can journal because I've dealt with all my issues. No, that's not, that's the Pharisee pathway. And there is not one verse of Scripture that tells you that you can't come to God when you're in a bad emotional place. In fact, let's just quote the words of Jesus who said, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He said, listen, if you'd just open up about it, you'd find me right there. 
And I don't know if I can adequately tell you the importance of this in our lives, that God is saying to us that we've got to have a heart belief that we can come to God when we're messed up, when we're in pain, when we're anxious, when we're stressed out. God says, come to me when you are messed up, anxious, stressed out, burdened, rejected, or fearful. God invites you and me to say to him, I'm an emotional wreck right now and I really need your help. I really need your help. I mean, when I got married, I struggled with this. I think this happens in a lot of marriages, so don't judge me if you're single. You haven't, you haven't done this yet. When the Bible says two shall become one, that's great news. Here's the other side to it. Half of you has to die. That's the truth. Two become one because half of me died and half of Jillian, and that ain't a fun journey. And I quickly discovered once I got married to Jillian that there were things that she was doing over which I had, this is a shock to me, no control. I didn't find this revelation pleasing in any way. It was in my life, in my world, in my affection box, and I couldn't decide it. And my action, my reaction to that was anger. And I remember experiencing that gap, that delay between the stimulus of the emotion and the time when I was finally willing to talk to God about it. And my life changed when I realized that the only thing I was doing in the gap was hurting myself and hurting somebody else. And the thing that turned my life around was to say, as soon as I can, let's involve God. The sooner I can get Him here, See, here's point number four, and I want to say this so that they come together beautifully for you to understand today. The point number four is we can either face our emotions with grace or with works. Because here's the thing, if you're a Pharisee, then you want, to act, you want to get good so you can come to God. And if you have a works mentality, then you think you've got to be good to be pleasing to God. I'm finding myself at this time in our church's journey and different sermons, and Break the Bungee, and this series, all the time, trying to just communicate over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, you can't change anything that will make God love you more. You can't get any more holy and therefore be more worthy. You can't get more righteous and therefore become of greater value to God. It is flat out impossible. God loves you, God made you, God's got a purpose for you, you're alive for a reason. You're not righteous because you haven't sinned lately, you're righteousness because Jesus died for you. You're not accepted by God because you've never failed, you're accepted by God because He loves you and He sent His Son to die for you. And oh my friend, when we start to approach You'll never have a healthy emotional world if you think that if you changed a bit, God would love you more. Isn't that true? Too many Christians are out there trying to just get a little bit better because then God will really love me. And that pain you feel, that sense of gap between an ideal Christian performance and where you live is potentially the greatest source of your emotional turmoil. 
And the moment that a Christian gets switched on to the truth, the truth that God loves you just like you are, made you the way that you are, has a purpose for your life. And even when you've failed, He still cares about you. And when you're less than perfect, His affection is still towards you. That's gonna bring the light and the hope that you need. And then it opens the door. And now I come to my God and I admit my challenge and I find about Him that He is my ever-present source of help in times of trouble. Not sometimes present help when I'm performing well as a Christian. Always there, always available. I just feel like I wanna bind every lie in every mind that's in this auditorium that makes you think that you can only come to Him when you've had a good hair day and read your Bible and memorized the verse of Scripture. No, you can come to Him when you're envious, when you can come to Him when you're grieving, you can come to Him when you're anxious and overwhelmed, when you've lashed out at somebody in anger and every moment, God isn't surprised by your fallibility. That's why Jesus died for you. And God's saying, all who will can come. Somebody shout a little amen out there today. Number five, as the band come and join me, our fifth choice that we have to make is we have to choose either God's sufficiency or self-sufficiency. I love the way the psalmist wraps this up. Go home and read Psalm 73, by the way. I mean, I've literally spent hours of my life in this psalm. I mean, so much time, I love it. You can see by my Bible, it's literally like all over. It's just written. But in, in, in verse, in the, in the closing verse, in fact, let's go to verse 25. In verse 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth I have nothing I desire beside you. I love this because this is the mature writing of a guy who's been through a lot of emotional difficulty. And coming out the other side of his pain, this is what he said. You can kind of get the, the vibe, can't you? You can get the vibe of a guy who's been through a whole lot of stuff, faced a whole lot of challenges, lived through a lot of stress and pain. And he comes out the other side and he just says, you know what? I got nothing on earth better than you. And there's nothing in heaven that I need but you. You just, you're everything. You're all I want on earth. You're all I want in heaven. He says, I've realized now that the way through all of what I've been through was you. And friend, I just want you to know that God is the one who's gonna get us through it. We need to choose God's sufficiency over self-sufficiency. God's looking for someone that's gonna say about themselves, by myself, I'm fragile. By myself, I'm vulnerable. And by myself, I can live in a lot of emotional rubbish, but I can't do it alone. I can't fake it till I make it. I can't process this by myself. So God, I yield myself fully and completely to You. I open up my life to You. Those who worship, those who truly know a great relationship with Jesus are those who open up their lives fully and completely to Him and say, God, I give it all to You. I'm not smothering my emotions. I'm acknowledging them. I'm inviting You in. I'm confessing what's going on in my life. And now I find myself in a place in my life, not only where I feel an emotional compass, where I 
feel something on the inside of me of calm and of peace, but I recognize that you are the one who brought it to me. You are the source of my hope. You are the calm of my storm. You are the peace that I feel. He, He is the lily of the valley. He is the salvation of our souls. He's the one we need, team. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth I have nothing to desire for you. Verse 26 gives us the reason. He said in verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but you, are the, God, are the strength of my heart. Your heart. He's talking about his emotions. He says, my, my heart might fail, but you're the strength of my heart. Then he said in verse 28, as for me, it is good to be near God. And I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And I will tell of all your deeds. Guys, where our emotional journey leads us to is to a place in its maturity where we just recognize God. Yield our lives fully and completely to God. Heaven is my home after, this, after I leave this planet. By worrying, I can't add an hour to my life anyway. I believe in being responsible with the environment. I'm not a head in the sand. Let's do nothing about the world in which we live. Don't believe that at all. God said, I gave you this planet and be a steward over it. But for anybody out there anxious about climate change, just remember, there's a new heaven and a new earth. At the end of the day, this world will come to an end. That's not just climate change, that's Bible. And I'm, I'm not trying to be, hear me, the context, but I'm trying to say, if you're anxious about it, no, no, God is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And when He comes, He's the one who will heal our bodies and heals the one who will heal our planet. We need Jesus, man. We need Jesus. We need to be, we need Jesus. I need you, Lord, to calm my pain. I need you to heal my soul. I need you to help me with my bitterness. I need you to cure my rejection. One that we need is Jesus. Come on, if you believe it, stand to your feet this morning and give God some praise. Give God some praise. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at arisechurch and at John Cameron NZ.